Hi, welcome to By Being Be Right Back podcast. I'm Giona. I am Ava. And we know each other from way back when, when we were in our early threes, up to the thirteens, and now in our almost thirties. We both have been living in the Netherlands for almost 10 years and we both have been missing the conversation of what it means to be Caribbean in the Netherlands. We too deserve representation within the community we live in and we have a responsibility to also give space for those who have this need to feel represented. These conversations are a good start at that, but certainly not the last step. For us, it's the bibing culture that struck a chord. As Caribbean migrants, we have a strong legacy of coming and going, making a home everywhere, seeking for familiarity within the community we constantly place ourselves in. But still, we find ourselves coming back to our roots, to our home, and realize that coming from the Caribbean is a meaning that is an ongoing process. We tried to find the closest translation to by being, and we agreed that Be Right Back was the best choice. In this podcast, we go on a journey with different guests to find out what this means for them while also looking at the different experiences within migrating back and forth from this area. It's a podcast on the culture of being from and going back and forth to the Caribbean. Both Guiana and I are from Aruba. Both our experiences are with coming and going back and forth, as it has given us the privilege to not only have a home in Aruba, but also being able to build a home in the Netherlands. However, our experiences with the whole situation is very complex, and so we find it important and essential to learn from our other Caribbean islands what their experience was. Yes, hi everyone. Today we are back with another episode of the Be Right Back podcast of season two. Today with Alicia Carrington. We'll be introducing her a bit later and she will be introducing herself. We'll have that nice conversation going. And obviously today again, I'm here with Ava. Hi Ava, how are you today? Hello, beautiful listeners of the Be Right Back by Be Podcast. I'm good. Okay, not bad. You know, the weather's kicking up a little bit. Like it's a nice boost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm. I'm happy that today is kind of like a. It's been a slow weekend because of Easter in the Netherlands, and that's really nice. It brings more of a slow energy. I haven't been doing that much the past few days, and yeah, I like that today is another day where it's kind of slow. So I'm very tired, but conversations like this always make me happy. Or at least they give me some sort of energy. So I'm happy we're doing this today. Yeah, no, exactly. I think uh, a conversation like this is a good outlet, but it's also just another way of also getting inspired. As we said, we already have our guest. She is waiting in the backstage, as we call it. Uh, we'd also like to mention that today we're also recording through StreamYard, a really great application if you're into recording podcasts and you would like yes. to do it from the from comfort the of your, of your own, own home. home. So good, that's where Miss um, Carrington is. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i not allowed to say what she is. She, she, she should tell everybody what she's doing because she's doing cool things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go, Miss Carrington. All right, hey, everybody. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. This means a lot to me because since we met in another country that was not mine and I just love the whole idea of Caribbean connections. I'm an artist, a visual artist. I work in performance, installation, painting and public public performance. And I'm based in Barbados. I don't think I mentioned that. I was born in Barbados. I was raised there. I left for college, but I currently live and work there 
full-time as an artist, very tricky thing. <laughs> so right now I am in Martinique on a residency, a month-long residency. And I've been here about a week now, just settling in, making work, getting familiar with another part of the Caribbean, the French Caribbean, um, just so I can continue to make these connections and build. And you said that you went to college. Where was that? Where did you go to college before? I went to Pratt in, um, in New York. So I did my first two years at their upstate campus, which is pretty remote. And then the last two years was in their Brooklyn campus, which was a lot more alive. But yeah, four years in New York. That was like obviously outside of Barbados where you were born and raised, if I understand you correctly. Mm -hmm. how, how was that for you, like going to study? Was What was the initial idea for you? Did you want to go and then come back or was it always like this? open plan that you had? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think you guys, of course, that's what this uh, podcast is about. I think it's a little more set in stone maybe in the ABC Islands as it comes to going away for education. Um, in Barbados, it's a little bit more, not everybody, it, it's not expected because we do have a university there. But for me, wanting to do art, it kind of drove me to look elsewhere. We do have a community college program, but the kind of art I knew that I wanted to do, and quite frankly, art is so heavily dependent on networking and being seen. I felt like if I wanted to truly do this as my profession, it might have been in my best interest to pursue it outside of Barbados. So that's what fueled me leaving. But leaving for school isn't everybody's like go-to. Uh, I forgot the original question. <laughs> It was that, like, what was the context of you leaving? So you gave a very good oh, context you, for that. You and, asked if I... Yeah. And did you want to come back? Like, how was that for you? The, the returning. Uh, I never really actively made the decision growing up, knowing I wanted to leave. I always knew that maybe my career would obviously take me outside of this 166 square mile island. Uh, but I didn't actively say, yes, I want to live this place or some other place until it was time to actually where the decision confronted me. And I was like, uh Oh, um, I either have to stay in this country or leave, um, legally, you know? So we can get into that more, like the differences in having to choose based on the legality of it and not being a part of a, another country. So when you were done with studying, was it like this immediate feeling of, Oh, I want to, go build a network back home or was it like I want to live in between or go and travel how was that for you in regards to your work as well maybe so we usually have a year after college well in the U.S. you get a year where you can stay and work in your field so it wasn't directly after college and that was helpful that gave me like a little buffer to try to explore working in the U.S. as an artist and see where what networks I could make, um, connections, so on. But then when that year was up, if you didn't have a job that was looking to sponsor you and give you a visa, or if you weren't looking to get married, then you would have to leave because there wasn't a way to, to, to stay on. <laughs> Taisha, I'm also very curious because you studied art, you're an artist. Um, for actual context, I met Aisha last year at the Caribbean Linked 
hosted by Elvis Lopez in Aruba from Atelier 89. And Taisha was one of the, the artists in residence uh, at, uh, in Aruba. And now that I hear your story, I'm actually really curious to also knowing, like, how did you pick art? Like, was that something that your family just accepted or was it something <laughs> or or was it something that uh, is very normalized over there in Barbados because in our case I mean I could call Guiana an artist uh, I think by now she's done a lot of things to, to just give her that label but like our families <laughs> or our communities <laughs> reacted very differently whenever we bring up any kind of topic that is outside of the normalcy of like hey become a lawyer hey become a dentist hey become any kind of doctor for the stability of it, of course, but the financial reasons <laughs> tied up to that. But um, I, I'm just curious to know, like, how did you go about making that decision of becoming a full-time artist? And did you get, like, the necessary support for that? Mm, that is a funny story. So I've always done art. Art has always, always been a part of my life as a child. You know, I'd play with Barbies, but I'd also make things out of anything I could find. So I never came to know art at like, you know, 16 or something magically discover. It was always there. Like I tell people all the time, it's like when you discover your elbows, you don't know. They're just there. <laughs> um, so because of that, my parents always knew they had a little artist on their hands. And they were very supportive. They'd buy me popsicle sticks to make things or, you know, like I just had rules like try not to get glue on the carpet or don't staple my hands. Um, but for the most part, <laughs> I could do whatever I wanted. Um, and I guess I started maybe when I got to secondary school. For us, that's like 11 years to 18 years is when I started to have to make career decisions. And the logical thing, much like you said, Eva, was, you know, there's the lawyer, the doctor, but there's also architect. And I was like, okay, architect is kind of artsy. So let me try to do that because everybody knows artists don't make money. <laughs> or, well, that was the general concept. So I went, to, I went through school, secondary school, pursuing architecture. I always did art, though, because... As I said, it just could not separate from my life. And also, you kind of needed an art portfolio to apply for architecture schools. So in my head, it was legitimized why I had to do the whole art thing. <laughs> so then when I was at the end of my secondary school time, I was applying to colleges and architecture is mega expensive to study. And again, I would have to leave. There wasn't a program for architecture in Barbados. Barbados kind of has more of those traditions that you mentioned, the medicine degrees, environmental stuff, law, etc. So when I was applying for these colleges, they were too expensive and uh, I kind of missed a year. And so I ended up applying to Barbados Community College for their architecture program and their art department saw my portfolio because I think I had to see like, like a second program that if I didn't get through for the first one, I'd have a second option or something. And the art program saw my portfolio and called me directly. I was like, hey, um, you sure you don't want to do art? And I was like, oh, to be honest, I kind of already have the qualifications for school, for architecture school, so I can might as well spend a year doing art. Sure, I'll do the art program. So I went ahead and I did the art program for the year. Um, and in that time, I was applying overseas. That would have been my associate's degree. 
So I was applying overseas again for architecture um, and Pratt was one of the schools I applied to for architecture and I got in and I had to, I just sent my application to their upstate campus because it was free to do so. And then their upstate campus called me. I was like, hey, you sure you don't want to art? And I was like, hold on, not again. (laughs) And they were like, look, we would give you like the biggest scholarship we can offer. The only catch is we don't do architecture. We just have art degrees. I was like, look, at this point, anybody looking to pay for my degree or pay for a significant part of it, I'm coming. Like, I don't care what I have to do. (laughs) So I ended up doing art and I did my BFA in jewelry design, actually. And I had chosen jewelry because it was so transportable. So in my mind, I was like, you know, it's still three-dimensional. It's kind of like the way I would think for architecture or sculpture. I've always been a 3D person, but I can pack all these jewelry pieces up in one little suitcase and take them home with me. (laughs) I always thought, you know, if I major in like painting or sculpture, what on earth am I doing with those things when I finish my degree? Do I burn them? Do I like give them away? Do I throw them away? But with jewelry, I can pack up a whole solo show in one bag and leave. So that was my roundabout way of coming to art. <laughs> it sounds like you never like, it, it never wanted to leave you alone. <laughs> exactly. It, it kept coming back. It did. It did. And so after it kept knocking, I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to commit to doing it. Um, there definitely were the years after school where, as I mentioned, having majored in jewelry design, jewelry, being a jewelry designer and being an artist are still quite separate, even though, you know, they are still in the art field. So there was a little bit of time I graduated in 2018. So there was some time where I had to figure out what even getting into the art world would look like for me because I graduated with a design portfolio, a jewelry portfolio. So here's me wanting to do performance and I'm showing you earrings. Like, how do I, (laughs) how do I make the jump between these two? So it took me, that's where residencies came in. It took me a little while of finding residencies that were open-minded enough to allow me to say, Hey, I, promise you this is the work I'm showing you but this is the work I want to do (laughs) and they would provide the environment for me to just explore enough to build a portfolio to now be able to say I'm both of these things oh my god oh my goodness what a journey (laughs) (laughs) and today what do you do today um today you're a full-time artist and what do you specialize in exactly Mm-hmm. So I still have both sides going. There's still jewelry. I guess everybody always wants to know the practical details. So I'd be happy to share that. My jewelry, <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> jewelry is kind of like my bread and butter. You know, it's going to earn, it's going to be lower cost than let's say a painting or something. And it's, I have a jewelry studio at home. So I have a studio for both jewelry and my other, my other um, art forms. So jewelry is kind of like my daily earnings and the other art forms are like less frequent, but often bigger in, 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 um, amount of money. 
So I've been full time for maybe two and a half years now. I believe the beginning of the pandemic was 2020. Whatever year that was. Yeah, <laughs> that's 2020. It. Yeah, that was also oh, three years now. I've been full time three years now. Um, my last job was teaching as an art teacher um, in Barbados. So yeah, just growing both sides of the practice. They kind of help support each other as I go along. Wow. No, but that's amazing. It's amazing to hear how you kind of found yourself but then in two different kinds of prof- uh, professions. Mm-hmm. And like, if I may ask, uh, mm-hmm. how is the arts in Barbados actually? Like, what can somebody expect when somebody goes to visit Barbados? Like, what's, mm-hmm. how's the art, how's the artistic factor over there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. It's just like you guys might imagine from what I've seen in how I visited, when I visited Aruba. There is a lot of art that does cater to um, tourism or, or people who come to Barbados with a certain idea of what Barbados art should look like. There is a lot of that. But uh, that's, in my opinion, that's the most visible art form. Um, and there is not a ton of room or opportunity for the kind of work I do or contemporary like p- public performance and that kind of stuff. You have to make your own way in that, in, in that sense. Um, it's always strange. And I, I think what doesn't help that art form is it's not very visible. So when I post a picture of me, I don't know, building a sandcastle on a beach and that's my artwork, it's a little less interesting for people than if I p- posted a painting, for example where it's more immediately accessible visually. Um, So the art scene is lacking a lot. There's not a lot of opportunity that comes from within. And that's actually bringing me to some questions I had for you guys about kind of transportability of creativity, which I've been kind of exploring this week since I've been here. Um, I've made it my business to build a very quote-unquote transportable art practice because uh, I knew the opportunities are not going to come from Barbados or, or the amount that I would need to sustain myself are not going to come from Barbados. So how do I go about choosing to live there but still access opportunity? And that's come about for me in some real creative ways um, but I'll let you guys jump in. <laughs> Ask anything specific if you want before I start it's, rambling on. <laughs> no, it's actually, it's very much linked to the questions I've been talking about with Ava in our private conversations, but also in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Also, actually, the idea of even starting the second season of the podcast, because the mm-hmm. first season was very much okay, you... Um, very much from the lens of the ABC SSS islands, what you talked about as well. It's a bit more, let's say, scripted. Um, you finish high school and you go to the Netherlands. And, okay, you finish uh, your, your school, you finish um, X amount of time at work, like let's say four or five years in the Netherlands. You're tired, mm-hmm. you want to go home, let's say. In our case, mm-hmm. my case, it's Aruba. But what do you do when you do... Um, you have a profession in the arts at large, so you're specifically mm-hmm. an artist as well. I work a lot with I, artists. I make things, like I write 
a lot of things. I make programs, but mm -hmm. I also work with funds, for example, in the art sector. Because mm -hmm. um, I was like, okay, if I want to go back, I need to find sustainable ways. Even in the Netherlands, honestly, the art sector here, I need to find sustainable ways of getting my bread and butter, just like you said and how you get your bread and butter in your own way. Mm -hmm. I know that context very well because it's, I think in the art sector at large, it's a constant struggle for me. And I want to go back home to Aruba in my case, but what does, I, I'm still asking myself that question. What does that mean? How does a sustainable practice or sustainable system look like mm -hmm. in the arts and culture sector? If we talk about, um, yeah, providing opportunities, providing network, providing all types of resources, especially also financial resources in the Caribbean on small islands like Aruba, but also in Barbados, as I hear you now. So that's, we, we are all on the same wavelength, I think, if I <laughs> hear you talk. And we haven't talked about this, Taisha, uh, prior really to this. So it's really interesting that actually a few miles away in Barbados, you are mm -hmm. actually experiencing sort of the same things. Yeah, Ava, I don't know if you want to jump in or your thoughts about this. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that she, that Taisha really says like, okay, so this is what helps me earn my bread and my butter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and the other one is really, uh, I, what you I suppose, want what you want do. and your passion, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you can earn money with your passion is already a, a, some kind of bonus because I think that's the biggest struggle of every artist. Like, how do you make money out of your passion? And especially yeah. if you know that where you come from, there is not a lot of space for that kind of profession. You know, the infrastructure is just not built around that kind of income. But I find it still interesting to hear that you really do separate the two because I feel the same. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I, because there are many other artists over here in Holland as well who are very clear. Oh, no, that's my bread earner. But this is the thing I love to do the most. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and even though the two kind of also uh, overlap each other, you know, um, in jewelry making, there is a very, very distinguished uh, form of art in there. Uh, mm -hmm. But as well as indeed making a painting, you know, uh, the two might be worth different, but in some way, somehow it is a piece of you that you're putting out there. Mm -hmm. um, but it does lead me to a question because now you've done a couple of residencies and you've been abroad. You studied at Pratt, which I think it's so cool. Uh, New York City <laughs> is such a cool place to study art. And I, and I think you've been quite a few places. And I'm actually curious to know, like, what are you most proud about, you know? Uh, being that artist, that Caribbean being who is still very much learning and still developing. And I think after you've seen and experienced some places, what is the thing about you being from Barbados and doing what you're doing? What is the thing that you're most proud of, of having to put out there into the world? Mm -hmm. um, honestly, this as simple as it is, I'm really proud of just being able to do it. It is not easy. And there's a reason you don't see a lot of artists from our neck of the woods. You know, it, the barriers, the hurdles, the hoops you have to jump through are so extensive that to every day I wake up and to be able to do it, I know the work that I put in, but I truly, I'm really proud of myself. If I could say that for myself, I, I, I just think that that's a, to have the the energy and the um, 
courage to pursue it when everything else says this is not going to work to have that courage I'm really really proud yeah that's that's really great to hear I I'm happy yeah I'm happy you're confident in yourself like that because I think we need people who have that confidence in themselves um, in our sector, I would say, mm -hmm. especially people who live back home or who go back and forth, but like are more rooted back home, you know, where they started, you could say. And mm -hmm. I had to also think about what you said uh, a bit back in the type of art that is most visible or is the most, let's just say, generically resourceful to mm -hmm. sell uh, because it's vis it's visible and it it makes me also think a lot of like in Aruba we also have this specific I, I would all, almost say the way specific islands market themselves for tourism economy yeah. and how our sector is very much linked to that and um, it's something that I think about a lot in the sense mm -hmm. of you know how do we I don't know if we can get out of it because, yeah, tourism economy and honestly, tourism gentrification is yeah. so much a part of our realities if we live on the islands. But mm -hmm. how do we make a sustainable, maybe parallel uh, hybrid system where yeah. people like us who have those resources and networks so resources is not just money but it can be networks or exactly, um, yeah. online and offline programs uh, platforms you know different resources um to kind of facilitate the people back home ourselves mm -hmm. but also the people back home because it's like this 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 colonial construct as well right because yeah on the islands we can't um, have a sustainable let's say art sector where everyone gets paid very well and there's a lot of room because we're always fighting for a piece of the mostly financial cake mm -hmm. and um, honestly in the Netherlands where I work it's not always that much different there's just a bigger piece of pie <laughs> yeah. and, and but it's still that colonial construct where if we think of going back home we need to think about, but how are we going to sustain ourselves? And I think, you know, people like that question that Ava asked and your answer, like people who are confident, who find the ways, who share the tools, I would say as well, and how to sustain and make that sustainable. It's, it's very much an ongoing research for me and, and what I want to give back to myself, but also the community because I want to live at home full-time as much as possible if i can quickly say something as well i have to say that the confidence is one thing but i do feel that we should also just really look upon what you say Guiana, at the people who are actually doing it like look at Taisha, for example Taisha is now in martinique if i'm not mistaken um this is another residency that she's doing now she did another residency the year before <laughs> Um, and it's not to show off that Taisha is doing these things, but it's just to show you that this is what it takes. Mm -hmm. um, this is the type of time and energy and work that you have to keep putting out there and keep building up that portfolio in order to be able to reach a certain level of artistry. Yeah. And if, if I may say, even that sometimes does not come with the respect that it earns. Yes. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and I think like, whoa, you know, and it's not to say that the other professions don't put in the work or the time or the study, of course, mm -hmm. hey, um, but the fact that even arts, you have to study, you have mm -hmm. to pay to, uh, to study it, you have to go somewhere else that is in your home to be able to get that knowledge. I kind of feel like, yeah, confidence is one thing, but I have to probably go through the same process as somebody who would not have to study the arts and I still would not get the respect that I would have to earn. Mm -hmm. Because it's another sector. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I just want to say that, well, yes, confidence is 100% the thing. But I do want to say we do have to look, at, uh, look upon our fellow artists, our fellow creative beings who are doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe on a smaller or bigger scale, but they're doing the thing. And I mm -hmm. do feel that that only deserves so much respect. And for therefore, also, it deserves its own infrastructure. Because you're getting your money. You're getting your bread and your butter through it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I really just wanted to add that. There's a good question as well. Like how do you take it bigger than an, on an individual level? Because exactly. It's, um, that's kind of the, how do you say that the responsibility that falls oftentimes on individuals who make mm -hmm. it, you could say. And, um, that's, you know, not everyone is equipped as well. Individuals are not all equipped for whatever reason. Maybe you just don't want to um, mm -hmm. have this like collective communal responsibility. Some other people want to do that and have that capacity to do that as well or have the network, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's the different coins of the same conversation that we're having um, mm -hmm. where the question is not only how do we make it, but it's also what needs to change in order for it to become more systemically sustainable. Mm -hmm. And it's conversations like these are for me, just archives of like perspectives in yeah. what could be referenced to maybe in the future, or what has already been said in the past, because we're not the first people and Sadly, not going to be the last having these types of conversations, but it is a point in time where people can listen back to and, you know, maybe even reference in some boardrooms where people make decisions like in politics or whatever. And I think that's the ongoing conversation and thread that I see in all of the conversations that we're having online with this podcast, but also, I think, very much offline um, in our own um, circles. And I think... You know, that's, I'm kind of getting tired, not of the conversation, but of the fact that, again, it's being reiterated that people are like, oh, yeah, you're, you're doing so well and you're doing so good. But it comes with a price mm -hmm, <laughs> of, mm -hmm. of not feeling supported, even if it's only financially, mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, because you have to. The reason I do a bajillion things in my sector is not because I want to, it's because I want to be able to have a, a life where I can, you know, have some financial, but also headspace to do the things I want to do. Um, but then I often feel, I don't know how both of you look, have that, but I kind of sometimes feel like this guilt if I do too much only for myself in the, the sector. And I see a lot of people in like, my community struggle in getting money or getting paid well and I have the mandate or the power sometimes to change that as well so that's also the reason why I sometimes I'm like okay I can't only just do things for myself 
So it's a very tricky position. I don't know how that is for 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 both of you when you hear this. Well, I always say you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, I think it's for some reason there's this this thing in the art community or the art well not the art community outside of the art community with people looking in where artists aren't allowed to do things for themselves like it's believed that art is for the people and it is but it doesn't mean that the artist doesn't also have to take care of themselves like i look at a doctor my sister is a medical doctor for example and everybody thinks doctor's responsibility is to take care of the public or you know that kind of thing but nobody expects a doctor not to get paid or not to earn enough to support themselves or everybody always associates being a doctor with being well to do so i'm like hey why don't you do that for the arts we're like doctors of a different kind you know <laughs> uh, but you don't expect us to to be rewarded in the way for our outputs so i am always like do you have to do to sustain yourself as an artist to build up yourself as an artist it's not selfish it is absolutely necessary because you can't pour from an empty cup there are also two things that you guys in what you were saying i wanted to mention choice and strategy earlier g you were talking about kind of having to adapt your practice to to fit your location and that is such a big thing for me um at the root of my work is choice choice for people in the caribbean on every front the choice to stay or go the choice of what you want for your career the choice to have a family like so much choice has been removed historically from people in the caribbean that i make it my business to to live my choice um and to try however best i can to not only portray that story in the themes of the work but make the process of making the work and my pursuit of a career in the arts make it all come back down to glorifying or encouraging this idea of choice um it's kind of a it starts with me kind of idea which again some people might see as selfish but you know it has to start somewhere so I'm like no I'm committed to making the kind of work I want to make even though it is not the kind of work that is you know easily accessible locally where I am in Barbados or even really throughout the Caribbean a lot of the times so following on choice when you do make your choice there're always going to be repercussions or there's something follows that choice and this brings me to the more practical side of a art practice there's a lot of strategy um and that's why you see me doing so much residencies and i think again people the, the art is so opaque that it's really hard to understand when artists are thinking strategically or to even know what what other artist strategies are so you can help employ them for yourself so i figured if i could share that for anybody who's listening break down like my whole strategy that i've kind of had for the last couple of years i feel like that could be helpful Yes. So <laughs> so I I mentioned it firstly with the choice to do jewelry. That I would say was my first consciously strategic move. I was a I was a sculpture major and I said, "You know what, Taisha? You need a skill set that's employable anywhere in the world." And being a metalsmith, 
take away the art, take away whatever, I'm a metalsmith. I'm a metalsmith. So I have that skill set. If all turns upside down in the world, I can go find myself a job making jewelry because I'm a highly skilled metalsmith above all. So I was like, okay, great. So we got a backup plan in place. So now, you know, when you've got a backup plan, you can start to focus on your choices. Oh, and I mentioned jewelry is super transportable and it's also, it can, it can call high price. So I can make a tiny ring and it could be 10,000 or something like that. So I was like, let me get that under, under my belt and I can go from there. When I got back, I knew that I'm a 3D artist, really and truly hands down. And I'm always about the concept of the work. And I also like site specificity. And to elaborate for anybody that's listening that might not know what that is, it's work that responds to a specific location. And that often means that that work is not movable um, or like it has to be in a particular place because it's about that place and so on. And I wasn't willing to give up on my interest in site specificity and that kind of work. So I started to to make the projects transportable. So a lot of my performances are intended to be done on multiple Caribbean islands, for example. Um, I, I mentioned like there's one where I build sandcastles and the whole aim of the work is to build a sandcastle on as many islands as possible that exist in the island chain. So I'm still able to, sorry, that exists in the hurricane belt, sorry. Um, it's about climate change and um, our vulnerability. Anywho, without getting too deep into the concept, I thought, what if I could make works that they don't lose their power when they go to other places or they don't only exist in photograph format when they go to other places, but it's equally as important. It actually enhances them the more places I can do them. And then more recently, I've come to a body work that... Um, I focused on its ability to fold up and put in a suitcase and leave. So I, I do inflatable sculptures um, because the practical part of this is if I can make something that is massive, you know, and it can take up space in a gallery, but I can fold it up, put it in, <laughs> put it in a suitcase and get it to a location, you know, the work gets there. Because um, again, a lot of my work is not going to look great on Instagram. It's most impactful in person. So I'm like, I'm going to pair residencies and work that I can pack up and take with me and roll up and fold up and I get there. And then I'm like just whipping work out of my suitcase in large quantities. <laughs> because the reality is at this young stage in my career, I'm not going to have a ton of opportunities where everybody wants to pay for the work to get there pay for me to get there and pay for the exhibition. So I'm like, I'll go cut all that out for you. Me and the work can come in one bundle, you know? <laughs> so then it works for me. I get to explore, which is so important to making the work. I get to go to the places, but I'm also bringing the work. Um, and the residency thing is a major strategy because residencies come with a type of support system that I simply do not have in Barbados. So I try to participate in as many of them that make sense. You know, I'm not out here wilding with any and everything that comes my way. But as I get older in my career, I have greater choice of the kinds of residencies I participate in. And I usually use those times to pursue my most ambitious works because I have community. 
I either have administrative help, I have physical people to help me, you know, lift something that I might not, you know, just there's some practical resources, as G said, not just money, but sometimes someone else's time, someone else's expertise, mentoring, input that helps you realize things that you can't realize in your country. So I just wanted to throw that in there for any That's other like artists. That might free be business lesson. Wow, this was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing this. I think it's a really great perspective to also bring forward because I think there's so many ways of approaching your career, you know, mm -hmm. your artistic career. And I, it's, it's honestly, you have a whole plan surrounding it for mm -hmm. business. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And that, oh, and, and again, with the jewelry, another thing about the transportability is I try to have people outside of Barbados handle it for me. So let's say, you know, a show, a, a gallery in New York might carry the work. That takes it away from me. There's only one shipping fee. I get it to them. They distribute across. And then that gets down into the more the nitty gritty of trying to function from Barbados, like receiving payment. Oh my gosh, there's no real online platform where you can swipe, you know, pay online to like online shop and so on. So if I decentralize that process to other more robust art societies, yes, <laughs> that are not based in Barbados um, or are sometimes not based in the Caribbean, then they have all the infrastructure behind the scenes necessary to like process card payment, etc. And then I just get like a lump sum or something like that. Um, and the final thing, oh my gosh, I'm going to throw in before I'm going on too long, <laughs> is the importance of networking. The residencies also bring that. Um, and getting to travel with the work also brings that. Because you don't want to go and just be talking, talking, and nobody is, you talk about work and you don't see anything. I literally, I have whipped out work out my bag before at like gallery openings to be like, hey, you want to see my work? <laughs> and I honestly, I just recently got a museum acquisition from whipping out work and showing it to somebody, somebody that knew my work. And they were like, oh my God, I'm so happy you had it in your bag so I could see it in person. I'm like, yeah, trust me, I always got something on me. <laughs> so but that's, going, yeah. networking in these places um, also allows you to tap into funds, for example, that aren't available locally. So partnership, networking, that kind of thing outside of Barbados and sometimes outside of the Caribbean is very important simply to get paid. Uh, so that's it. That's, I'm done now. <laughs> no, I think that's just the beginning. I think you should give like business classes because I think a lot of artists maybe unknowingly do parts already of what you're saying, mm -hmm. but they're not um, one. We don't really encourage the art sector generally as like a, as like a business model. And I yes. think it mm -hmm. should be, or it is, because we need to have our bread and butter, like we mm -hmm. both have been saying. But mm -hmm. I think it's very good to make it more explicit, especially mm -hmm. if you have the experience. Like, I think all three of us in our own ways, in our own fields, have that to make that more explicit. I had mm -hmm. been thinking about that, like, more of the, not because I want to, but because I feel like it's, I feel kind of a responsibility to make those things clear to the sector or to the communities I'm, I'm from because yeah if you've been through something and you know because what you're saying that will help people who will listen to this podcast they will be 
thinking about it more explicitly, you know? So I was like, yeah, it's, it's good to be very specific about these things. Um, so yeah, thank you for, for sharing that part and your, your thought process. I think a lot of people, maybe also outside of the art sector will be very much inspired or like not only inspired, but also reminded of how that process works or what they can do with their own service or product. Because uh, at the end of the day, you need to sell it or you need to make a living in this capitalist context that we're in. So this is a very good and I think uh, way to delegate certain things and make it mm-hmm. easier for yourself as well. Um, I'm also looking at the time. We're already almost at the end. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we've just started to talk. <laughs> but um, I think we will keep in touch and maybe who knows, we'll do another episode another time. Welcome to the second segment called Treasures We Keep, where we talk with our guests on the things they bring to the table related to home, be it a picture, sound, song, poem, aka treasure. Yeah, there's a song that it's not from Barbados, it's Trinidadian, but it's an old song by Mighty Sparrow, very influential in the Caribbean music scene. Uh, It's called Obia Wedding. And I've always loved this song because to me it captures this something so essential to Caribbean communities, which is storytelling in kind of a funny but very serious way. Um, It's like a document of something so popular at the time, um, which was a belief in Obia Wedding. Uh, I'm putting it over to you in the most enjoyable music. Uh, And I think a second thing that I really enjoyed about this was his ability to touch on a taboo in the Caribbean, at least from the time, this idea of phobia and how it was vilified. Uh, So I just, every time I listen to it, it brings me back to the joy of Caribbean people touching on taboos and putting it in a song in the funniest way um, through storytelling. It's it's funny because uh, I also grew up with his music and I'm from Aruba, which is like on the other side uh, of the Caribbean and, you know, from from Barbados point of view. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting indeed to, to see how these, I've had that, especially going and living in the Netherlands. I, I could get this like lens and looking back at how, my upbringing and being born in the Caribbean, how it shaped me, right? And mm-hmm. actually, for me, it was a lot of like, okay, I'm going to the Netherlands, I'm going to study, and I'm going to immerse myself in that culture. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to, what did I actually learn? What am I actually pushing away from the Caribbean that is very much, you know, home, actually? Mm-hmm. And like you say, like those those parts of storytelling and how, actually narratives get shaped and used in ways or utilized actually as tools in ways to make things clear and show resiliency Mm -hmm. as well in messages that have maybe traveled through oral histories, word of mouth, but also songs and in different ways and how our languages intertwine and, 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 and also change with the new mind migrant uh, histories that you know differ per island and Mm -hmm. it's that's kind of what I think about when I 
when I hear you talk about that song mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, how it's maybe something that's very different from the Aruban culture and Surinamese culture that I was brought up in, but yet very similar. I realize now that when you gave me the sign, I thought you were telling me to like, I, I was giving Taisha like, oh, is she going to play it? <laughs> uh, no, but to be honest, Mighty Sparrow, um, it's funny because it's in the same, more or less, we're in the same region together, mm-hmm. um, but we've definitely heard Mighty Sparrow at home, mm-hmm. 100%, 100%. We've heard him, or in any case, uh, during carnival season as one, but I yeah. think there are many, many tunes. It's, it's something, there's something very delicious about knowing that this song is about something that your yes. people are not are not <laughs> ready to talk about yeah that is have, it and then you have an artist and Maybe then i really want to add to that whole, making up um, a whole way of like bringing it with color forward but the message is very direct exactly um, yeah it's it's i think that is very much the archetype of Caribbean music for me um, like how you Ava and you Taisha have been talking about this song where um, yeah where things are said but not said and mm-hmm. actually very political and <laughs> so I'm really curious to know if like people who will listen to this episode will actually recognize this piece of audio that uh, mm-hmm. Taisha will be uh, playing for us very I hope real. so I hope um, they should know it they should at and, least listen yeah, to this story. It's like four minutes again, of the best story I said, ever. I think that shows just like the, the way resiliency, because not only, you know, it's not always nice messages. It's very much like you said, Ava, the message is clear, but it's a taboo or people mm-hmm. are not ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I think that's also, that's another conversation, but I think that's also at the base of, let's say, how hip hop culture developed yeah you know mm-hmm. um, hip-hop has a lot of uh, roots in the caribbean uh, from caribbean people as well so it's it's beautiful to see how that kind of emerges and creates and has its own life so everyone listening to this um <laughs> go listen to the song because now you know uh, what song to listen to mm-hmm. um I think, Ava, I don't know if you have anything else to add, because I think we kind of got to the end for this conversation. Um, I think it would be super nice to have Taisha come on over again. Maybe that's something that we can discuss after, maybe (laughs) during or after her residency in Martinique, of course, because it's a whole Mm -hmm. different time zone. No, but honestly, that's why I'm so happy that we could do this on StreamYard, because we were really aiming on talking to people who we haven't spoken to before. So it's super nice to know that we can reach you all the way over there and you can still share all of your knowledge and everything that you've... Uh, I, I also think you, have, you still have a lot to say. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Oh, a ton. <laughs> I could go on. That. <laughs> so that's why I think we should consider this part one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we I can definitely... Down. Yeah, and I think we could definitely check out like a part two and I think then maybe, who knows, we'll catch you during another residency or... <laughs> you know, you'll have you'll have more things to tell. Mm-hmm. I think it's super cool that we can connect with people like you, Taisha, because um, funny enough, we all met each other on a room, but we come from totally yep. different places. Even, yeah. even Dion and I, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we were both born and raised on a room, but we're very different from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we spoke about that in our previous episode, if anybody has heard it, you know, the whole patriotism part, like what does that mean for the both of us, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, 
knowing that somebody from Barbados is really out there and putting out some good work, mm-hmm. um, let that be an inspiration for other bar people from Barbados, you know, mm-hmm. and anybody else who follows the Isha, the Isha, is there anywhere that people can follow your work? Anybody, yeah. anywhere, any websites, any links, any applications that people can go and check out and see what you do. Yeah, Instagram is going to be the most direct um, and up to date. So it's Taisha underscore Carrington. Uh, that's my IG. Um, I also have a website, TaishaCarrington.com, and my email, TaishaCarrington at gmail.com. And I also send out a newsletter every quarter that gives you everything I've been up to for the last three to four months and the coming three to four months. So, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Um, Thank you guys for having me. This was amazing. Yeah. It was was a super great conversation. Thank you so much Mm -hmm. for joining us, even during your residency. Um, (laughs) I think think a lot of people will have something very interesting to relate to to everything that you've told today because Mm -hmm. I feel like, I don't know, I feel so uh, refueled by hearing you speak. Thank you. Thank you so much. I agree with Ava. To be continued another time, and I wonder what we will be talking about then. Um, For today, I want to thank everyone. I want to thank you, Taisha. I want to thank Ava. I want to thank all the people always supporting us, the listeners, of course, but also people in my, yeah, you know, friend circle, close friends and family. Ava? Yeah, I'd like to thank my co-host, Guillaume, our guest for today, Taisha. Um, And I I guess I want to thank the fact that we're all connected in this sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who have been supporting us from the very beginning, you know who you are. Um, my mom, our friends, our families, uh, our Caribbean community right here in the Netherlands. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us on the ride already from the very beginning. And this is part one, so you can expect the Isha on another episode really soon. <laughs> so, and you know where to find her. Check out her work. Make sure to give it a follow, share her work. That's the most important thing, people. Don't just like and comment. Share, please. <laughs> um, and obviously, check out the residency she's at. Maybe that's something for future um, people who want to be artists, any people who have gone, uh, people who are already busy with their artistic careers. Listen to the tips that you've listened to today. Check out places where they offer residencies. Maybe there's something out there for you. If you happen to be from Aruba, please check out Atelier 89. Mm -hmm. Elvis has a great program for people who are really starting up their artistic careers or if you've already started it. Um, But for sure, check out Daisha. Daisha has a lot of great tips. She only only shared a few today, but uh, another episode is coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.